welcome to the Gnostic Informants, also Jacob Berman History Valley. We're doing this on both platforms simultaneously, and uh, I'm, I've been waiting for like a month to get this guy, I've been bugging this guy to come on, and finally accepted, and it's a special day for me. I'm very glad to have you here, Jacob. I watch your videos, I, I, I think you have like a, a laser vision for ancient texts, and you're good at you have a very uh, analytical mind that you can put things together that most people can't. And so I'm fascinated by some of the some of your theories. And they check out. And when I look into these things, they check out. And like uh, you know, you bump head with a lot of scholars. So thanks for coming on, dude. Well, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. So um, I just no, go ahead. No, go ahead. It's fine. I wanted to ask you off the bat. So when it comes to biblical scholarship, um, this, the the world, the view on the historicity of Jesus, let's say, the you know, like okay. storyline, it's yeah. rooted. It's rooted in scholarship that goes back centuries, all the way back to the church. Like this is a foundation that is like strong. That Jesus was a real person. Yes, really, twelve disciples, and this all happened. Doctor Gary Habermas says that. The resurrection happened, and it's proved, and there is witnesses months and days after the resurrection, and this right. is what scholarship is telling us. And it's hard as a, as, a, as a civilian who's not really – I don't have a Ph.D. in history. I don't have a master's degree in biblical I'm – I'm not a pastor, but I look into these things, and I'm like, where, what is he talking about? What, what is this evidence days after the resurrection? Well, I, I can't find it. So my question for you is, if you had a – a lot of people are afraid to go against scholarship. They right. don't want to be ostracized. Oh, this guy's a conspiracy theorist, whatever. They don't want to be ostracized. They just want to go with the grain because they have, you know, that's, that's their career or whatever. Um, but for you, I'm asking you, if you were to go back, if you had a time machine right now, you can go back in time to the first century and you can look at Israel or wherever, Rome, whatever the hell you want. Would, what would you see? Not what scholarship would see. What, what do you think you would see? Is there a real Jesus? Was there really 12 disciples? Is it all an allegory? How much of it's true? How much of it isn't? Take it away. Well, I think what we would see is, is the lack of a Christianity, or at least a religion that is called Christianity before the destruction of the temple. Um, Josephus tells us that there was a Saul, the kinsman of Agrippa, was causing disturbances in Judea. Josephus doesn't seem to like the guy very much. He calls him a wicked man. Um, according to Acts, um, this very same person, Solitarsus, becomes our Paul the Apostle. I think this is correct because in Romans 16.11, as even Professor Eisman discusses uh, in his books, uh, James above Jesus and in the, in, the, in, uh, in the New Testament Code, uh, in Romans 16.11, it says that Paul is a kinsman to the Herods. Um, he also uh, brings up, uh, I think it's also in Romans. He has some Romans. He brings up uh, Aristobulus, another kin of his, and it sounds a lot like uh, Aristobulus, the son of Herod of Chalcis. Uh, the chronology is just right for him to be directly related to those individuals. Um, and the, the problem is, right off the bat, is that these letters predate the Gospels. Um, and, and that's uh, scholarship. Actually, says that. Yes. Okay. The Gospel of Matthew 
has Herod pursuing the family of Jesus. He just, he just doesn't know which people they are. He's just told that there's, there's, a, there's a guy that's born that will be a threat to him in the future. So he slaughters all the firstborn male babies, the, the massacre of the innocents, which is copied from the book of Exodus, the nativity of Moses, uh, the massacre so of the innocents of Pharaoh. They're, they're inflating Herod with Pharaoh. Essentially. Which is which is um, strange, and not to cut you off, but I wrote I read Josephus a lot. As you can see, my Josephus copy is falling apart. I'm always <laughs> digging into it. There, there's tape. You can't see it. There's tape on the side. That's the pages are falling out. So I noticed something about the mm-hmm. about Josephus in particularly the Jewish war, not antiquity, but the Jewish war. The first yeah. book is all about Herod and the great things mm-hmm. he did. And then it's almost like you're reading about, is this the, this Herod the, or the Messiah? Like, it's like, he's like this great king, Herod the Great. He took away, like, he built the temple. He did this. He did that. He did, he could not be stopped. His army conquered all these lands. He went into Syria and did this. Right. It's all good thing after another. And then you pick up the New Testament and he's a baby killer. And he's yep. just this evil, wicked pharaoh inflated character like nimrod like this like that's the archetype of the evil character nimrod pharaoh herod so why is that well um it's 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 an interesting situation there because the flavians they later marry into the horodian family uh with uh one of them being called berenice uh and um veronica right yeah, that's another that's uh, Roman way to mm-hmm. sit Yeah, yeah. So it it looks it looks here that uh, I suspect even the Herods disliked Herod the Great because Herod did massacre his own family very often. He killed several of them, particularly during the time that he supposed that he's supposed to be hunting down baby Jesus. Uh, so on top of the conflation with the the massacre of the innocents at the hands of the pharaoh and the book of exodus it seems like the historical basis of the story has something to do with herod massacring his own family um matthew was talking about this because he's probably connected to that scenario because he dislikes he dislikes herod as well now the author of mark doesn't seem to to mind the herods at all um and um, Mark doesn't get into Herod the Great, whereas Matthew does. Um, and the way I look at the four Gospels is that I think they're all aware of Josephus's text. I don't think any of them predate Josephus. Um, slowly, over time, different scholars and other authors are slowly uh, coming to that conclusion as well. Professor Eisman, he doesn't really have a concrete position on when the Gospels were written. He's all over the place. He'll either put it in the late first century or even AD 70, or sometimes the second century. He says it could be anywhere in that time period. Other scholars would say Luke Acts seems to be very familiar with Josephus. Oh. Uh, I think all four of them are familiar with Josephus. Uh, you know so that's all... That's all evidence that tends to uh, lean credence to a late dating mm-hmm. of uh, of the Gospels. And also, I notice a lot of parallels in Acts in particular. In, yeah. 
and where you see like Josephus in Josephus in, in, the, in the Jewish war, you see right. Josephus is uh, captured by Rome. He, yeah. he has three people, there's three people crucified. He saves one of them. Yes. Um, then he, then, and he gets taken to Rome on his way to Rome. The, the ship gets wrecked. He appeals to Agrippa, goes in front of Agrippa. And I'm reading this after I've already read the gospels. Yeah. Wait a second. Paul did all this. What the right. hell? Like, what is this about? So this is really confusing. I'm not saying they're the same person or anything. I just think it's really strange how similar Josephus and Paul. And then you look for like historical evidence for Paul, and there really is anything. Paul is really not mentioned anywhere outside of epistles, biblical text. I'm not saying he wasn't a real person. I'm just saying right. it's very weird how they portray Paul in Acts. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I don't know about the real. They're probably. I'm. They're, I. I would say there probably is a real Paul. Right. I'm just saying that how they portray him in Acts seems a little bit allegorical to me. Yeah. Now, I also noticed another strange thing that I noticed is that um, Philo, who's writing in the time of, like, literally in the time of Christ's life, in the 20s, and even beyond that, and he's writing about all these subjects, such as who is the divine heir of the, of the kingdom of God, and he's writing about the logos and the tr- and God being of three of three natures and like this Trinity doctrine, but he never mentions Jesus, never mentions right. Christianity, which makes no sense to me. Why would this guy living in the same region of the world, talking about the same topics, talking about Messiah, talking about the logos? Here's a passage I got from him in chapter in the book called "Who Is the Divine Heir of Things." He says, "And the Father." who created the universe has given this archangelic, the most ancient logos, a preeminent gift to stand on the confines of both and separated that which have been created from the creator. And the same logos continually is suppliant to the immortal God on behalf of the moral race. What? He's talking about a logos, the word being the mediator between man and God. That sounds like Christianity to me. Mm-hmm. And then that's why I kept digging, and I found out that Philo's daughter married Agrippa or Agrippa's son or somebody in the Agrippa family, and that was the person in the book of Acts that actually Paul goes and sees, is the, is the descendant of Philo and Agrippa. So on my mind was like, something's going on here. Something's going on here. And I, that just took me off into a... I have a lot to say now, but I want to get your opinion on this before I continue because there's more that I want to – there's more crazy stuff about the Romans and the Jews that I'm, I'm noticing this, like, this, this, like, alliance. And the Talmud – I want to get into the Talmud, too. Mm-hmm. Talmud reveals it all, I think. The Talmud is where you got to look at to find out where these doctrines are coming from. But go ahead. Take, give your thoughts on what I just said. So there are numerous offers that um... – that think that Luke Acts is familiar with Josephus. Um, Jonathan uh, uh, uh David E. Garland, Clinton E. Arnold, um, and uh, I believe also Thomas E. Phillips, um, among many others. Um, this is this is something that has been widely discussed among scholarship. Uh, Samuel Zinner also thinks that the Gospel of Mark uses 
uh, Josephus, I believe, uh, what's, uh, I think his name was, uh, Daniel Oliver Smith, I think also said the gospel of Mark is familiar with Josephus. Um, yeah, you could see the parallels. Like, for example, if you're a teacher at a university, Uh, correction, his name is David Oliver Smith. Okay. Yeah. Let's say, let's say that the person who wrote Luke Acts hands in his paper to the teacher. Yeah. And the, the way they go about, um, what's the word when you copy uh, plagiarism? When the way yeah. they go about plagiarism, they're, they're, they have a, like a standard of pl- how to check if there's plagiarism. And they, they would fail that test. Immediately they would say, oh, you, you literally, there's like five words in this paragraph that match the same five words in that paragraph. And right. we see this everywhere. Everywhere. The Quran does it. Dual Arcanon. Is this mystical figure, the the horned one? It's, it says in in Arabic, and he goes in the land of Gog, Gog and Magog, and he prays to God, to Allah, and Allah sets up a a, a wall. Oh, oh, wow, great! And then you look in the the Alexander Greek Romance, which was written three hundred years before that, and you see that Alexander goes to the two mountains, says it's two mountains, and the same same exact, and he prays to the sole God. And God puts up a wall between Gog and Magog. And like, what the fuck? This is the same exact thing. You see that everywhere. All these scriptures, Christianity, Judaism, uh, Islam, they all do it. They all do it. So that's why it's just crazy to me when I see scholarship is like, well, yeah, these are all historical things that actually happened. And, you know, this is, this is, this is, whether you like it or not, this is what scholarship says. So you're the odd man out for disagreeing with us. It's like, are we, are, what? Are, are, we, are we actually trying to find the truth? Or are, we tr- are we playing this game or are we all just pretend that we all agree on things that we don't really all agree on? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a scholar called, uh, um, or he was, um, Hugh Schoenfield and the Passover plot in 1965. He suggested that Joseph of Arimathea taking Jesus down from the cross with the permission from Pilate uh, is historically based on Josephus taking down his three friends. I think he's the first person to even suggest the idea. Um, And I agree with him. Uh, I I think it's the same story, essentially. Um, And I do think that that it's one of the ways of telling that the Gospel of Mark is familiar with Josephus's Vita, his life autobiography that he published on the year 92 AD. Um, and there are many other parallels between Mark and, and uh, not only the autobiography, but also the, uh, the antiquities. Um, but before I get into those additional parallels, there's a few things that must be noted. By the Clement, way, real quick before you say mm-hmm. that, you said parallels. I want the audience to realize something that they might not know yet. In the first century, there was a genre. So right now in our world, we have genres, music. There's all these rap genre. There's all these, there's, we have all these genres for different industries. Back then, the only industry that really was, was reading scripture, poetry. But there was a genre called parallels. It was popularized by Plutarch. Plutarch wrote tons of parallels. So this allegorical yeah. way of thinking was was like, that was like the, the art form of the first century. So this is not crazy to think this stuff. But go ahead. Some of the, um, some of the many parallels that um, 
that have been noted uh, by others is uh, particularly in the, the life of Jesus Ben Ananas preaching an apocalyptic story of an apocalyptic prophecy, woe to Jerusalem, the temple will be destroyed. Uh, strongly parallels the way um, Jesus preaches in the Gospel of Mark. He says practically the same things. And then he predicts his own death, too. Yes. But additionally... And they, wanna, they torture him. They torture him for years. For something, years. Yeah, something I like to toss into, that, into those parallels is that, uh, that even Professor Eisman noticed is that Jesus Ben Ananas is captured and released by Governor Albinus. Well, he's captured and brought before Governor Albinus, and then Albinus releases him. The Jews did uh, captured him and brought him before the, the, the Roman governor Albinus on uh, the year 62 AD. Actually, it was 63 AD. Who appointed, uh, who appointed Albinus? Wasn't it Nero? Um, yeah, I think so. Uh, he, was, he was Caesar at the time. Right. He, uh, yeah, that was after Felix, uh, not Felix, uh, Governor Festus died. Um, so this Jesus was captured by the Jews because they, they tired of his message. Um, it, it was, he was annoying them and they brought him before Albinus and then Albinus said, this man's innocent. Let's uh, let him go. Sounds like, sounds a lot like the story in the gospel of Mark, Pilate washing his hands and ultimately the release of Jesus Barabbas, one of two Jesuses brought before Pilate. So, um, it says last name is son of the father yes origin of alexandria my name is jesus son of the father (laughs) or yeah origin discussed this in his uh commentaries on the new testament and he uh was very disturbed he says how could how could a sinner be called jesus he said um and then in, in other manuscripts in the new testament they would omit the name jesus altogether from from Barabbas. He would just show up as Barabbas instead. But it sounds to me that the basis for the Jesus Barabbas story it seems to be derived from this Jesus Ben Ananas. And it seems like he was put together with the historical Jesus who was executed during the ten year reign of Pilate. Right. Uh if you know if you look at biblical history, yeah. so from 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 the Torah all the way till the last prophet, which is I think yeah. Ezra, whoever that was. They, mm-hmm. they always talk about the, the, the priests, the high priest and the governor. It's always Zadok and Jesus. It's always Yeshua or Zadok. And they keep the name. They, their sons all have the same name. So this yeah. high priest, Jesus, who was also accompanying Zorobabel, when they came back from the temple after Persia let them, after Cyrus the Great let them, confronted them to, to come back, you got Jesus, the high priest. Is yeah. so this becomes in my this is my this is my opinion. I'm completely speculating here. This is there's mm-hmm. no scholarship that agrees with this. I'm just saying this my own self because I because I can, <laughs> right? This name becomes the archetype for like a messiah figure. This is what yeah. I think. I think this name Jesus is like this like allegorical spiritual name be higher than all names. So that's why what you said, they were like, there can't be a Jesus sinner. It's because they're referring to all of these Jesuses that were high priests, Yeshua, Joshua, whatever. The, they're all, it's all the same name. If you think. But depending mm-hmm. on the, di- the dialect of Aramaic you're speaking, Jesus, whatever it is, mm-hmm. the name becomes the and, – and so you're, I, I think this Apollonius of Tyna character is an allegory 
written by whoever. Like, I, I don't know who, how this all got constructed. I'm guessing there was high priests in, like, you know, like Plutarch was a high priest at Delphi. Whoever it was, whatever the Greeks, the, the Syrians, I don't know that. I'm still digging into this stuff. Mm-hmm. Somewhere along the line, this allegory, which is adopted from the mystery, the Illusion Mysteries. Am I saying that right? Illusion Mysteries? I can't. I read I those. So. Lines, but I never yeah. really hear anyone say it. Illusion. The Illusion Mysteries goes back to Pythagoras. Mm-hmm. This is the ancient Roman religion about a dying and rising God. So in the Illusion Mysteries, um, the, 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 I forgot the, a Paris phone, a Paris phone, I think the God's name is, Paris phone. He dies and comes back to life. And, they, and the belief in him gives you eternal life as well. So the, the Illusion Mysteries, Illusionian Mysteries, I should, maybe that's how it's pronounced, uh, is based on a, a myth that the abduction of Paris phone from her, mm-hmm. from her mother, Demeter, by the king of the underworld, Hades, in the cycle with three phases, number three there, the descent, the search, and the ascent, the rise. So it's the death, the being in hell, and then the rising from hell, all right? So uh, the reunion, and then Paris phone is reunion with, his mother, with her mother, and this, this was the, um, the belief was, they believed that they would have a reward in the afterlife if they gave the ceremonies and the offerings. And believe it or not, they would take psychedelic drugs to get their messages and their, um, their uh, what do you call it, um, prophecy. Mm-hmm. They were taking, and this mirrors the East. The Vedic, the Brahmins did the same exact thing. They had the same exact ritual where they would take the soma and they would get these messages and they thought they were hearing from god indeed you know and so this 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 illusion mystery actually comes from egypt if you read the life of pythagoras mm-hmm. where he got this from was he went to egypt and learned from all the mystics in there and brought it back to greece and this trickled into all these mystery cults that happened in the first century the roman imperial cult was pushing this in every region they went to so what happened was religion is the greatest form of propaganda ever, no matter what. It literally it, 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 it programs people to become a slave for an idea. Like if you're a Muslim, you got it. You're, you're going to die for Islam. This is what, this, that's the point of this religion. You're, that's what they're trying to do to you, any religion, Christianity, whatever. And so back then, these mystery cults would, get, would infiltrate Mithra worship. Osiris worship, Dionysus worship, and then they thought they, and Judaism was the biggest thorn in Roman in the Roman world. So they finally made this allegory, the same one that they wrote about Apollonius of Tyna, who is the prophet of Apollo. They did it with this Jesus. They took the name Jesus because that's the highest name of all names. And um, then they they made the allegory, the same allegory, but they just Judaized it. And then, boom, now all of a sudden you got this sect of Jews that are following the Lugian mysteries. They don't even, I mean, it's not, they don't know that, but that's what it is. And what it does is it unifies all of Rome into this way of thinking where the Holy See is our, is our guide, the Pope is our guide, the high priest, Pontifus Maximus. We have, to, we have to give our money to him. We have to give him 
pay our tributes to him. We have to fight for him. That's what the whole point of this is. So I think, you know what? Let me, let me, you could talk for a second because I've been, I'm, I'm stealing the time. Right. <laughs> what do you think about that? <laughs> well, um, I don't really, I mean, well, I basically agree. Uh, I don't think there's much I can add to that part. Um, because I'm more, I'm more focused on the parallels between Josephus and the New Testament more than I am a pagan parallel to the New Testament. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, um, yeah. And the reason I, I try to be very careful when it comes to pagan parallels to the New Testament because um, I think a lot of those parallels are are, are taken out of context. One of the one of the but one of the cases that I've seen in which the parallel seems to fit is uh, uh I, I did a I did a, a video on, on this a couple of years ago with us uh, Stairway to Reason um, about not only the Council of Nicaea but we also talked about uh, parallels between Plato's Timaeus and the Book of Revelation right right Ooh. because the parallels are so precise that it had to be discussed. Uh, Helios, Helios' son, Phaethon, brought the sun too close to the earth and it was burning it on fire, setting it on fire. Uh, and then Zeus tracked down Phaethon to stop the destruction of, of all mortal life. Um, you look at the depictions in ancient Greece, you see that four horses are pulling this chariot, flying this chariot. And it reminded me of the apocalypse, the, the four horsemen, Seven rays of the sun, seven days of the week, seven seals. But it's also important to remember that this also parallels the uh, the four kingdoms of David. The the six days and the seventh day in the book of Genesis. Um, so yeah, there are a lot of parallels there. And Zeus himself is even conflated with Sabaizus. Uh, which sounds a lot like Sabbath or Mechanite. Also, they, they, they identify with Amon, the god Amon mm -hmm. in Egypt, which is also like another form of Osiris, Serapis. Mm -hmm. And you re if you read the Greek Alexander romance, they lay out the theology of hell and the hell in this world. They lay it all out. If you want to know what the, what the, the, um, the pantheon of gods is for the Hellenistic world, the Greek Alexander romance was when they identify Zeus with Amon and Serapis and, and then Apollo. And they, they literally, I I, they literally you know. show you that Alexander is the seed, the son of all these gods, not just one of them. He's I think all I need to, yeah, I think I need to make a slight pronunciation correction. It's, it's Sabazios. Uh, it's Sabazios. Zeus sounds like Zeus a bit. Dios, a genitive form of Zeus um, yeah. as like well. Lord of the Sabbath. Like, I don't. I don't believe that these two gods are actually the same. I think they were conflated because. That's, well, that's what I'm getting at. They're no, not the same. No. They were. Mm -hmm. They were created by different regions of the world by different people, but the Hellenized world was conflating all these gods into one. They were trying to yeah. build a world empire. That's so revel. Yeah. So revelation sounded and, like a Hellenistic syncretism of Daniel and Plato's dialogue. Of, of Timaeus that seems to be utilizing both sources to allegorize 
the Jewish revolt, which lasted seven, about seven years, and the seven-year tribulation is, of course, seven years right. in the book of Revelation. So, so I, I was just reading about this, right? No. Yeah. So this is crazy. This is, where it all, this is where it all starts to make sense, is when you read Revelation mm-hmm. with the not, – not through the lens of a pastor, but, like, through the lens of, like, history, right? So the seven-year right. tribulation – and the seven-year, what is it, the well, something, whatever, I don't know, seven-year tribulation, right? That's what it is. And there's three and a half, three and a half. Yeah. So this is crazy because Augustus was the son of Julius Caesar who was deified, and they said the comet Venus was, you're looking at Julius, they thought they were looking at where Julius Caesar is right now. There he is right there. He's a god. And he's in the sky. That's written in um, Ovid's Metamorphosis, and this was this was taken as canon back in the day before Christianity was a state religion. That's the final book of the pagan canon is the apotheosis of Julius Caesar and a divine son, Augustus. He was Devious Ilias, which is the son of God. And he brought, he brought upon peace upon the world, the Rome, the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. Where we'll get, well, he, so, so that, the reason why I bring that up is to say this. Mm-hmm. Nero... Nero had divine blood. This is what they thought. Nero's mother was a descendant of the Antony, Mark Antony's family, and Caesar Augustus' family. She had the, the highest, the two highest factions of Rome in the world was Antony and Augustus. They were part of the, the triple, what do you call it, the, uh, the, you know, the three people that ran Rome before Augustus took it on his own, by the way. So she had royal blood. He was a looking for the word triad. Yeah, the triad. Yeah, the mm-hmm. triumphant. The triumvirate. That's what it is. The, the second triumvirate. So, uh, so uh, he's adopted by Claudius, who also mm-hmm. has Caesar's blood and another faction of high. So they look at it. Nero is the one. He is the chosen one. So what they do is they take his first seven years, and the, the book of Revelation says this. I'm talking about Revelation 12 and 13. And you're right. You're right. They're, they're taking the mythos straight from Daniel. The four kings, all right, the four beasts or whatever. So they're taking that mythos and they're adding, they're, they're fulfilling what Daniel said. This is, what they're, this is really good writing, by the way. This is better than that. This mm-hmm. is the, the Bible. The, this is phenomenal writing. This is genius, masterful writing, by the way. So... So Revelation 12, Revelation 12 talks about the woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And they're uh, conflating this with, like, the Rome, like, the, she, Venus is the, is the mother of Caesar. He, she's, he just, he's a descendant of Venus, right? This is what they're saying. They're saying that this mythical bloodline is, this is what they're talking about. And then she had, she had a child and wailed in pain and labored to give birth. And then it says that, uh, so this child was chosen to be the ruler of the world. She gave birth to a son, a male child, destined to rule all of the nations with an iron rod. And her child was caught up to God in his throne. She's talking, that's, that's talking about Caesar, the, the first Caesar, the first coming of Christ. And then it says that this great abomination happens. Now, if you look at Roman history, Nero kills his own mother. That's the biggest abomination you can do is kill your, your mother who has royal blood, divine blood. He kills his mother, 
roughly seven years before he dies. So before the end of his reign, roughly it's, they're, they're, they always round to seven because they have to make it that number seven. Yeah. So it's, really like, they, it's really like eight years. And they thought after Nero's death that there would be a second coming of Nero. Right. And that there would be false Neros. Right. So let me, let me just finish this off real quick, and I'll give it right back to you. So the three and a half period, they're cutting in half. The war, the, the war of the Judean revolt happened exactly three and a half, not exactly, but they're making it exactly like in the in the eyes of the Roman world, it's happened exactly three and a half years before the death of before Vespasian, the Messiah, because they really thought Vespasian was the second coming of Caesar, and they thought that Nero, because he killed his mother, because he had a he got married to a man, one of his slaves. Did you know that in 64 A.D. Nero married one of his slaves, a, a gay marriage. Now in 2021, that'd be fucking awesome. Everybody would be like, yeah, this is so. Per- progressive but this is 64 ad we're talking about this was an abomination to the world this was an embarrassment on rome they had to get rid of them so this is where things start to downfall this is the tribulation this is that three and a half year period 66 ad the war breaks out that's the beginning of the three and a half year period before the second coming who is vespasian vespasian and his son titus are the Second coming of Caesar and his son Augustus. It's like, it's laid out, and it's actually really impressive to think about all this. But the archetype of this really goes back to Alexander. Alexander being the divine Messiah figure who conquers the whole world. He's tutored by Aristotle, so he has the knowledge of Pythagoras in, in him. And his dad is, is um, his father is adopted father, they say. Who knows if this is true? His do- Philip of Macedon was, was, na- was named the 13th god of the 12 Olympians. They, they, they deified him. But then they made this other myth that he was the seed of Nectanebo, this last pharaoh who was a, a, a prophet of Serapis. And he turned into, a, turned into a, a, a snake and then seeded Olympias and gave birth to the child, Alexander. And you put it all together, you're like, holy shit. This Roman, this Greco-Roman myth is like a, this is what it is, dude. This is, this is what they're trying to allegorize. It's like the, it's not just, people like to say, oh, Jesus was Caesar, or Jesus was the, the, the Egyptian, or Jesus was this guy, Jesus was that guy. No, he's actually a little bit of everything. He's a, he's a, Jesus is an allegory of the times. He is all that is good. He is the Logos. So they take pieces of him, take pieces of that, take pieces of that, and they draw up this perfect man, this God-man. That's what it is. And so Vespasian fulfills the prophecy of the 70 weeks, and he conquers Rome, or conquers Judea. And what he does is he, he really saves the Jews. This is in the Talmud. The Talmud praises Vespasian as the king. You are the king. Oh, and, they, and they start naming off all these Old Testament um, uh, verses. Like, oh, these are, all, these are all prophecies of you. You, Vespasian, you've saved us from the Sakari, the evil, wicked Sakari, the, the zealots, that they were causing famine in the land, and you saved us. And then you're like, wow, this is true. I didn't, so I, didn't, I used to, I'm Roman, or uh, Joseph Atwell, his theory didn't really make a lot of sense to me at first until I read the Talmud, and I was like, holy shit, he's right, dude. This is this is this is true, and it all lines up to Revelation. 
So, um, I think I should bring up the 40-year cycle. Um, Jesus is supposed to have been, you see in the Gospels, it's this thing about the 40 years. In 40 years, the temple will be destroyed. To the precise year that the temple was destroyed. Um, and that's what, that's actually one of the reasons why I think there was a historical Jesus because I don't think a historical Jesus predicted the temple was destroyed. I just think they attributed that prophecy to towards him. Now, to speak on what you were saying earlier about different offers, like, yeah, uh, saying that Jesus is this guy or that guy, like Daniel Unterbrink, he thinks Judas of Galilee is Jesus. Lena Einhorn thinks the Egyptian is Jesus. Or Ralph Ellis thinks that King Izatis and a conflated with a bunch of other individuals is Jesus. Um, Francisco Corrado thinks Julius Caesar was Jesus. That's what I'm saying. Um, but if we forget about the Gospels, because Paul wrote first, then we don't have those issues anymore. Um, Paul, now, I think Paul wrote the letters, not just the seven authentic letters of Paul, because here's the thing. A lot of people don't, don't understand this. When scholars say seven of the 13 Pauline epistles, it's not really 14 because the book of Hebrews is, does not claim to be written by Paul. So it's 13. Because um, some people say, oh, it's 14 because of Hebrews. No, it's 13. Unless you count the epistle to the Ladosians that Marcion talks about, then that's different. Um, that would make it 14 again. But anyway, the 13 canonical Pauline epistles claiming to be written by Paul, scholars agree that at least seven of them Galatians, Philippians, Philemon, Romans, 1 Thessalonians, uh, 1 and 2 Corinthians are genuine letters. But on the other six, Titus, 1 and 2 Timothy, Colossians, 2 Thessalonians, and Ephesians, they do not agree if, if they are not. That's debated. There really isn't a consensus if, those, if any of those six are forgeries. Now, a lot of scholars do, do believe 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus are forgeries. Uh, the linguistic parallels that, they, that they've noted between 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus indicates it was written by the same forger. However, if we were to say instead that the Clement in Philippians, even Origen says this, is our Clement of Rome, then Paul wrote these letters after 87 days way after 8070, actually. And it becomes unnecessary to say, well, the, these other epistles that seem to be implying the temple was destroyed, although they are implying as much as the authentic letters are, are forgeries. No. Also, if we look at the beginning of Colossians, the beginning of Second Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Corinthians, and Philippians too, they claim to be written by more than one author. Paul and Sosthenes in the beginning of 1 Corinthians or Paul, Timothy, and Silas uh, in 1 and 2 Thessalonians or Paul and Timothy, Philippians. Um, and I think Paul and Timothy in, um, in 2 Corinthians uh, 1 1. Let me, let me look here because I don't quite remember the co author of that letter. I think it was two people that wrote that letter. Um, okay, yeah, I was right, Paul and Timothy. 
uh, to the Church of God in Corinth. Um, I think these linguistic variations can be resolved. This apparent evidence that, okay, nearly half the letters are forgeries can be set aside if we were to just understand that it's due to multi-authorship. Some of the letters, the secondary Pauline epistles, seem to diverge heavily from Pauline language because they were written by co-authors more than Paul did, more than Paul wrote in those particular letters. It just depends on which letter you read. Uh, and that's why there's uh, language differences. On the seven authentic Pauline epistles, they are hailed as genuine, or should I say more genuine, because Paul contributed the, in those texts the most. Now, let's take a look at Galatians. There are parallels to be found between Paul, uh, Epistle of the Galatians and Josephus, and then I'll come back to parallels between Mark and Josephus. In Galatians, Paul says he spent three years with Barnabas. Then 14 years later, he returned to Jerusalem and he took Titus alongside uh, him, with him to Jerusalem. Now, Josephus actually tells us the same story. He says at the age of 16, he was tutored by Banus for three years. So at the age of 19, he's finished. Josephus, Josephus was born on AD 37. So 16 years later, it would be Eighty fifty three, just about. Um, and at the age of 19, which is 56 AD, um, he finished his tutoring. Now, what's interesting about that is that's when Paul is supposed to be writing his letters, all in the 50s, according to the majority of the, of the consensus scholars. Um, the problem is, this is where we get involved with these churches. Paul is set, writing to all of these churches, a wide range of, of churches spread across, uh, across Judea. They're supposed to be in Rome. They're supposed to be in uh, Turkey. They're supposed to be all over the place. In Ephesus as well. Um, the problem is, the earliest evidence, confirmed evidence for a Pauline uh, uh, church community spread that wide and vast is during the time of Clement of Rome in the mid-90s, after, long after the Jewish revolt. And uh, if Paul had preached in those regions, and some try to say, oh, well, Paul was infiltrating the, the zealots. He was a double agent. That doesn't make any sense, because if he were, he would have been killed. SGF Brandon, in his book, uh, um, it's called the, the Destruction of the Temple and Christianity, something like that. He tried to make a case for putting the letters in the 50s, and he said, well, the Council of Jerusalem can be dated to around 55 AD, and uh, that's when Paul's literary activity came to an end and the Jewish Christians took over. Well, that doesn't make any sense because uh, if the Zealots had taken over, and I don't really think they should be called Jewish Christians in the first place, uh, they would have destroyed every single letter and then we wouldn't have any of them today. Makes no sense. Um, the wrath of God in Romans and in 1 Thessalonians doesn't make any sense either. Yeah. Paul George, uh, he's a, he's another author. He says, he says, uh, that the wrath of God 
against the Gentiles and Romans is a reference to the eruption of Mount Vesuvius, which is way after the destruction of the temple. Um, I found that to be quite intriguing because it does specifically say wrath of God against the, against the Gentiles. I'm like, hmm. That's intriguing. And it's a little different from the wrath of God against the Jews in 1 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 16, which a bunch of scholars try to say, well, that's a forgery. Somebody interpolated that. Of course, they have to say that's an interpolation because that would mean Paul wrote after AD 70. Um, now, going back to Josephus in Galatians, Josephus says they spent three years of Banus, from 53 to 56 AD, as I was mentioning earlier. Then 14 years later, on AD 70, he returns to Jerusalem with Titus, Titus Vespasian Jr., to begin the siege of Jerusalem. Um, and it occurred to me, you know, that just has to be Barnabas. That just has to be Barnabas, right. Banus and Barnabas. They were taught by the same man. Paul and Josephus were taught by the same person. They knew each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 um, what's interesting is in the autobiography, from what I recall, I don't believe Josephus ever mentioned Jesus Bananas in his autobiography. He's not there, but he does mention Banus. Banus is a Greek variation of saying the Hebrew Ben Hanan, son of Hanan. Which is yeah, there's a there's a figure with that name from the first century who was like um they said he had like powers and it was like a prophet and it's in the Talmud, Ben Ben Hanan Ben Hanan yeah. whatever. And so then, Yeah, so that's interesting. It sounds, it sounds to me I think that this is the same person as Jesus Ben Ananus. That's what I suspect. And Paul and, and, and Josephus were both taught by this individual. There are parallels to note that how Josephus describes him, Banus being a, living like a poor man in the desert. That's what they say in the Talmud about this Ben same person, that he was a poor man yeah. in the desert. So was Jesus Bananus. Yeah, and then he had like, the, he was, everything he said came true, and he was like a mystical, like they you know. really put, put him up like a prophet, like, you know what I'm saying? Which, which is what they, they said. But you know what you mentioned about these churches in in, in uh, Turkey, yeah, Revelation. And I noticed something also about. I was talking about Revelation earlier in the parallels, right? And I noticed that they talk about the throne of Satan will be conquered and the kingdom of heaven would uh, descend onto earth. And I almost think they're talking about the Nicaea. Nicaea was actually a country. Constantinople was part of Nicaea. It was Nicaea, and there was like a whole entire region, its own, its own district, basically. Of, of Rome at the time it was in Greece and I think that's what they're talking about with this kingdom of heaven right there it was like this sort of polar opposite to Rome and then I think everything the, the schism happened after Revelation but when the, at the time Revelation was getting written they're talking about this holy city and I think they're talking about building Constantinople that's where the famous church Hag Sophia the biggest Christian church in the ancient world was right there the council of Nicaea right there I mean, that makes sense to me that they're talking about that as the kingdom of heaven, not something that's going to happen 2,000 years later. They're talking about it's happening right now. That's what they're doing. Um, so it, it sounds to me that Paul and Josephus, uh, they have a, a very identical chronology. In 2 Corinthians 11, I think it was. It's either 11 or 10. Yeah, I think it's 11. Paul mentions that he was shipwrecked. Three times, stoned three times, imprisoned three times. 
it, uh, um, yeah. So, yeah, it's really um, parallels are insane all over. Yeah, Josephus and the Bible and the New Testament. They're one other thing. Parallels, yeah, go ahead. Paul says, 14 years again, brings up the same 14 years just after he mentioned the shipwreck. Again, that lines up with Josephus's chronology because Josephus was shipwrecked around the year 63 AD, just after the death of James. I think that's connected. Now, what is he saying what those 14 years are? Because Nero reigned for exactly 14 years. Exactly. I think he was talking about the distance between the end of their, of their mentorship by Banus on the year 56 AD to 70. Okay. But you, mm-hmm. that's, that's really strange because that's the same exact timeline of almost Nero's reign, right? Mm-hmm. To, Just really, about, almost. Really strange. And not only that, and this whole, I, I, I forgot to mention the biggest, the biggest one of reason of all of why I think Nero is the, is the dragon or the demon or the Satan of Revelation is the 666 part. They go, you need some wisdom to figure this out. But many, his many number is 666. Yeah. Six. And we all know what, um, what do you call it? Uh, G- Gematria was a thing back. Gematria, yeah. They had Greek Gematria and they had Hebrew Gematria. Well, the Greek Gematria for Nero is 666. So it's yes, like, it, is. it can't be any more clear. They're literally, it's like, it's not, the more you read it, it becomes less of an allegory. It becomes literally about Nero. And this I, all, yeah, this all feeds into the evidence of the New Testament post-dating even the works of Josephus because yeah, they're looking scholars, at- scholars, many scholars say Revelation, uh, the Gospel of John, Luke, and Acts, uh, one, two Timothy and Titus post-date Josephus. Now back then they wouldn't even go that far. I, mean, they, I think they would usually. They would try to put the whole thing before Josephus, especially a couple hundred years ago. But Of course they uh, would. Why wouldn't they do that? They're trying to make you believe it. This is all a prophecy that got fulfilled. So they backdate everything. It's all backdated. Of course it is. And for people to say, like, that's a crazy conspiracy theory, you've got to think, like, why wouldn't they do that? One of the key pieces of evidence that's a big problem for this is Clement's ignorance of the New Testament. Clement, when he wrote a letter to the Corinthians about the year 96 A.D., it's about the year he gets executed by Domitian. Yeah. Uh, oh, by the way, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I keep going. The last time I'm going to cut you off. Okay. There's only two Roman emperors to be officially damned by the by the yes. by the church: Domitian and Nero. Yes. That's it. Every other de- every other emperor was literally deified and given a temple in, in honor of their name. Those two were like damnate. They literally on Roman records says eternal damnation. So it's like that plays a huge role in what we're talking about. Go ahead. Take it away. I'm done cutting you off. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's, all, it's all right. No need to, be, no need to apologize. Uh, so, it, so scholars over time have been putting, slowly putting the entire New Testament after Josephus. I think eventually they will. Um, and um, where was I? Oh, yeah. Um, when you look at the parallels between, not just with Paul and Josephus, you can see that they lived a very similar life. Yeah, so Paul's shipwreck, that's where I was originally. There we go. Paul and Josephus were on the same ship. That's what that indicates. In Acts, it, it tells us that Paul did shipwreck at the Adriatic Sea, appearing to land on, on an island. I think it was Malta. And uh, it's about... 
it's just, it appears to be the same island that Josephus uh, and his guys uh, went to after they were shipwrecked. What uh, are the odds, right? Mm-hmm. So they knew each other. They had the same tutor. Now, Ellis, um, he looks at these parallels for a different reason. He'll say that that's because Paul is Josephus. Now he doesn't. He doesn't talk about the. the I don't think he talks about the shipwreck in Second Corinthians. He just talks about the one in Acts, from what I remember. But my explanation, especially given that Josephus actually does mention Paul, he calls him Saul, is that well, it's because is he talking? They knew about, each other. Is he? Is he really? Is that what? Because I I look. I'm trying to find that. Is that really the Saul he's talking about? Because we're talking about a different. Doesn't he have a different last name? And isn't he? Like Paul in the Bible is is a is a, a student of Gamaliel, who by the way Gamaliel is in the Talmud, praising jo- uh, Vespasian as the king. Like so, let's remember that only Acts claims that Paul's epistles don't. Uh, okay. So yeah, go ahead. Paul, he, he yeah, jo- jo- there are many instances of. Uh, well, I try to find that. Um, Okay, so real quick while you're finding that, I'm going to say, say yeah. it real quick. Paul, the word Paul means small in Greek. It does. So yes. I think that Paul is another archetype, just like the name Jesus is an archetype. And they're an, he's an allegory for a bunch of different characters, Josephus being one of them, and maybe a couple other characters, and they make this, this small. So like in the, in the context of astrotheology, the small is the moon. And the and the big is the sun. Like he's uh yeah he's mentioned in Antiquities twenty, Jewish yeah. Wars book two, and in, in many other books in Antiquities and in Wars. Uh, so yeah, so you know that there's there really is a Paul. There really is a Saul. I should say I shouldn't say Paul. There really is a Saul, a real person named Saul. But there's one thing to note: Paul is a different. Paul is the allegorical parallel. Yeah, Cephas. The question is that I asked myself is why did Josephus not know that Saul became Paul? Because well, simple reason. Because it didn't happen yet. Exactly. I was just going to say that. Paul- it happened in the mid nineties after Josephus got done writing. Paul, Saul- Paul is a com- com- combination of Saul and Josephus and maybe a couple other figures as well. Somewhat in Acts. Not necessarily in the letters. I think the letters are mostly correct about Paul. Now, here's here's where the issue really gets uh, problematic. Second Corinthians eleven forty two. It talks about Aretas, which makes absolutely no sense. What it says about Aretas, he rules Damascus. We know King Aretas the fourth doesn't. He does not rule Damascus. Or he does no no other historian says he ruled Damascus. But in uh, King Aretas III, a century before, did. Now, some people came up with a cringe for theory, trying to say, well, that's because Paul lived in the first century BCE. I remember reading one commenter, uh, one, one person that commented on one of my videos saying, well, we should put Jesus, we should say, this is somehow linked to Jesus Ben Pandura. I'll come back to Ben Pandura in a second. Um, but no, that's just ridiculous because if we, the 13 letters of Paul, the, one of them mentions Pilate, 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says Jesus confessed before Pilate. He doesn't say Pilate crucified Jesus. He said confessed before Pilate. So we got Pilate. We have Arrestus the treasurer. That's in Romans uh, uh, chapter 16. And it's also, he's also brought up in Colossians. Uh, 
all first century people, first century AD. So unless, uh, uh, unless he's time traveling. Right, 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 right. Which that's, that's absurd. He's not. No, the, this, this is, this is a first century context. He's writing these letters in the, in the very late first century AD. Mm-hmm. Uh, really any date in the first century AD would be more logical and putting uh, practically more logical than claiming it was written 100 years earlier. It would just make no sense. This, now, is, this plays into something I'm about to ask you, though. It's you know? Jesus of the Talmud, who is, they say his name is Jesus of Nazareth, with a mother named Mary, who was supposedly she uh, had a child that was unwedded. So it's almost like they're playing into this miracle birth thing because mm-hmm. Joseph didn't, didn't have sex with her. This is what they're saying in the Talmud. And that this yeah. Jesus led Israel astray and was crucified on Passover Eve. There's no way this, this could be a coincidence. So this has to play in somehow. The dating of this Jesus is to what you're talking about a century before. To, to, to put this in the form of a question, you were just talking about a Paul that could possibly be in the first century BC. There's also a Paulus. I don't know if this, this is just, I'm just throwing this out there. Josephus talking about Apollos, who was a Pharisee, who was, a, who was anti-Caesar, but then changed his mind and became pro-Caesar before he died. That's in the first century BC, too. So when I'm thinking of all these events that the Talmud's talking about, a Jesus that was crucified in like 66 BC, exactly how the gospel portrays Jesus of Nazareth, which is like, how can that be? How can there be two of them? And I hear scholars like Bart Arbenz, well, Jesus was a common name. Okay, Jesus of Nazareth with a, with a, with a mother named Mary, pa- crucified on Passover Eve? You think that's, a co- think that's a common thing that just happened? No way. <laughs> so go ahead. What do you think about, put this all together. What does this all mean? What, what, what is the truth here? There are some scholars out there that think there's a connection between him and biblical Jesus. Uh, Professor Tabor in the Jesus dynasty, he thinks Pandora is actually the real father of the historical Jesus. But he sticks with the 10-year Pilate chronology uh, that Jesus Jesus was still crucified within that, that 10 years. Um, uh, there are scholars that link uh, Thenas. He's someone that was, from I remember, appears to have been involved in the death of Jesus ben Pandera and the Talmud as being linguistically a Hebrew, a Hebrew rendering of Pontius Pilate. Now, I don't think that's the case. I think we have a big problem. First off, Josephus seems to be ignorant on a Jewish reformer called Yeshua ben Bandira a century beforehand. Uh, there's no Jewish writings at all that mention this person at all. And it's writing this material that's written about this person is centuries later, unlike with the historical Jesus. This person is written way after the fact. Kind of like uh, King Arthur. The only difference is with King Arthur, he's these Arthurian historians write hundreds and hundreds of years later. But the distance is identical uh, in, the, in those two different time periods. I'm just using Arthur as an example that. Oh, it's a Historians great took a long time to mention him. Great example. And that's a, that's a problem that must be factored in with Ben Pandera. So I'll go as far as admitting that there appears to have been at least a conflation when the Talmud was written. Some people, a lot of people, a lot of authors just seem to 
seem to assume that was the Jesus of the New Testament. But Thinus sounds like Thanius ben Samuel, the last high priest of Jerusalem that was killed during the revolt, uh, during, the, during the siege of Jerusalem on AD 70. So that's the first issue to, uh, that I noticed. Another issue. He's opposing Alexander Janius. Now, there's another Jewish text. I think it's part of, yeah, I think it's part, I think it's in the Talmud. It, it, it talks about Papos being the husband of Mary. He reports to Herod the Great that Joseph had an affair. Joseph Panthera, mind you, had an affair. Yeah, I'm familiar with this part, yeah. Uh, with with uh, very strange. It pops out at you. It's like, what is yeah. this? It pops out. So in this chronology, it seems to be sticking with the with a chronology identical to the New Testament. And Herod is going to go down, go out and hunt down Mary and Joseph because they committed adultery, punishable by death, according to the Torah. In accordance with the Torah. So it sounds like there are parts of it, depending on which part of it you read, that is referring to the Jesus of the, of the New Testament, but. There's another issue. In the AD 40s, James and Simon, the sons of Jewish Galilee, and on AD 47 were executed by Governor Tiberius Alexander. And then, mind you, that there's, uh, there's another Judas linked to, to, to him called Judas of Sephorius. And there's another Jesus called Jesus son of Saphius. Jesus son of Saphius was, was executed by Commander Vespasian after he captured Tiberius at AD 67. Yeah. Like, by, by the way, back then, when these characters that you're mentioning were all getting killed, yeah, they were, they were called Christians. The word just meant Messianic Jew. That's what that word really meant at first. I would prefer to call them Sakari. Christians. Well, that's, that's, that's what they really are. They're really mm. Sakari. But that, that word Christian came from the Greek Septuagint, the Christos, which is the Messiah, and they're talking about these Sicari zealots that are all about the Messiah, and they're we need to fight Rome, and that's what they, that's that's what that 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 real Christianity was before it was subdued by this Roman Christianity. Right. That's so it sounds so. Where I'm going with this is the Alexander Janius is not the person that we think he is, and but another example is in the Told of Yeshua, but the Told of Yeshua is really like ninth century A.D. Uh, very late text, but it says that Queen Helena of Adiabene is the wife of Alexander Janius, which makes no sense because they're 120 years apart, just about. How how could she be married to someone over a century before uh, beforehand? It makes no sense. And uh, and after piecing together that okay, Tiberius Alexander participated in the siege of Jerusalem long after he was his governorship of Judea ended. So he reigned for about a couple of years from AD 46 to AD 48. Uh, after Crispius Thaddeus, he executed Feudus, whom appears to have been one of Judas Galilean's sons. Uh, I actually think Feudus is the basis for Thaddeus in the Gospels. Anyway, uh, I realized it would make better sense if Tiberius Alexander is the one being referred to as Alexander Janius in the Talmud. Hmm. 
which would put Ben Pandira squarely back in the first century AD. It would put him right, right there, which explains a Phanius uh, connection. Phanius been Samuel's death on AD 70. So Jesus, son of Saphius, would be the equivalent to Yeshua ben Pandira. He's leading some Jewish rebels in the 60s against Commander Vespasian. He died during Tiberius Alexander's time. Tiberius Alexander persecuted the Jews. He helped Vespasian in the siege of Jerusalem. So it all adds up to, okay, it's comparing, in the same way Herod the Great is, is, is allegorized as a pharaoh of the Exodus and Matthew when he executes the, the babies, uh, the massacre of the innocents, Tiberius Alexander seems to be pestered to, to Alexander Janius, so he's therefore referred to as if he were Alexander Janius. Right. That's what it looks to me. So, and, and yeah, just to add to that, it's like, so you, what, 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 what you're seeing in the allegories of these characters is they have archetypes. So the evil, yes. the evil archetype goes back to the, how Rome describes Carthage and Gaul as uh, they worship, they, they sacrifice children. They, they kill, mm-hmm. Killing babies has always, always got to be the first trait. Nimrod killed babies. Pharaoh yeah. killed babies. Herod killed babies. Janus killed babies. So what you're seeing is these allegories are giving everybody who complies with Rome is praised. Everybody who opposes Rome is a demon. And, like, and for example, the rapture, that nobody will be harmed during this rapture, right? They're talking, about, yes. they're talking about during what they're talking about is in the Talmud when high priest Johannan sneaks out of Jerusalem to mm-hmm. Vespasian, they make a deal. And Vespasian says, What do you want me to grant you? Yes. He, tells, he tells them who to not touch. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't, don't harm these people. Don't harm those people. Leave this city intact, but take everything else. Destroy the everything. All. Is. The coffin scene. Hold on a second. And that is what they're talking about, the rapture. Those are the ones that are raptured. The Jews that aligned themselves with Rome were raptured and were not touched. And they, they, survived, they survived the wrath of Titus. That's right. what that means. So it sounds to me that the coffin, the coffin scene, I would say it probably happened. Uh I I I think he what well, yeah I think he probably he probably pretended he was killed during the siege, and uh, was taken out in that coffin. But it sounds a little bit. Tell me, messes everything up and makes and like they they make mm-hmm. it all like theatrical. So it's not all true. It's but like it's like based on right. a true event. There probably was a meeting between Johan and and Vespina, sure. But it probably they, they they even say that while they're talking. A it mess, just a sounds a little bit like Osiris when Set tricked Osiris into the coffin. Well, it is because yeah. what happened after that? If you if you if you go, if you put the Talmud down and pick up Tacitus, Tacitus carries off where the Talmud leaves off, where Vespasian goes straight to to Egypt. Tacitus, you mean? Tac- Tacitus, and yeah. he worships Vespasian. Worships Serapis there, gives yeah. offering to Serapis, and then he heals the blind and the sick. Yeah. So Definitely. it's like you're you have to put it all together. You have to take all these these manuscripts and all these mm-hmm. accounts. When you put it all together, you see it all. It's clear. It's clear what's happening. Rome is the Messiah, and the, Satan is the Sakari. That's what it is. Well, that's one way to put it. Um, as and Jesus was turned into this pro-Roman allegory by Paul, then later overbloated on steroids by the Gospels. 
uh, as predicting the Jews will lose Vespasian, the whole thing. And what they're doing is they're backtracking the prophecy made by Jesus Ben Ananas back 30 years and attributing it to Christ, that Josephus briefly mentioned, uh, getting crucified in the, within the 10-year reign of Pilate. When he was crucified during that 10-year reign of Pilate, it's highly debated by scholarship. There's really not really an agreement when in those 10 years he was crucified. But anyway, um, the Talmud hates Yeshua ben Pandira. It hates him a lot. The Jews don't like him. They want him gone. And you have to remember that the Talmud, the oral Talmud started circulation when Yohanan ben Zakkai was appointed. Right. By Vespasian. Yeah, most, Vespasian. most of the Talmud's all first century stuff. Mm-hmm. It's really like, there's, now, a, there's an allegory in there about a, a Yeshua ben, I forgot, Yeshua ben Yohanan or something like that. And he's talking to Caesar. And this is what you could tell this is all fake. It's never happened. And he's like, Caesar, uh, or Caesar tells him, go and get the 66 sages of Greece and bring them to me right now. And then uh, Yeshua's like, how can I do that? I need a ship. Build me a ship. And he builds him a ship. And then Yeshua goes there, and he's like, he has to play this outwitting game with the Greeks. And he wins, right. he wins the game, and he brings him back to Caesar, and Caesar kills him. What, what is this? What are they talking about? And I'm like, this is some sort of allegory about Rome making a deal with Israel and, like, conquering the establishment, the, the Greek pagans, and, like, taking right. them away and starting this whole new Rome with, like, Christianity is, like, this that's what I think this is. Some, something like that. Something along those lines. I haven't, I haven't quite figured it out yet, though. But right. Um, it's important to understand that once you put Ben Pandera, once, once you link Fanius, you link Tiberius Alexander, Alexander Janius, it's pretty clear he's a first century character, but uh, at least based on that evidence. Um, but he's not. He's not the same person as a biblical Jesus. He was simply, as, as his character evolved in the Talmud over time, he appears to have been conflated and assumed to have been the biblical Jesus over time. Um, so especially by the time the told the issue was written. Uh, so once you piece all that together, he was a, this particular Jesus was one of the Jewish rebel leaders during the revolt. He failed within a year of in during the revolt um, about a year after it started uh and the person that started the revolt was basically menahem ben judah who uh, josephus seems to suggest he's a son of jesus galilean although there are some chronological issues there some suggest grandson because uh, he, he's 60 years after judas's death which is pretty old for the time so there there might be something wrong there but regardless whether he's a son or not um, when we go back and we look at the parallels that Jesus has with these Jewish rebels in the Gospels, the parallels the Talmud has of Yeshua ben Pandira and the Jewish revolt, Jesus, after Paul's letters, was retold by the Gospel authors and the Talmud to resemble in these different Jewish leaders. And then each of these attributes were carefully rewritten and retold to favor a pro-Roman point of view. Because remember in Paul in Romans, he says, all governments on earth are appointed by God. Right. So that, right. Would, that, would, that would suggest Rome was appointed by God because Rome, the Roman government exists, therefore they, they, were appointed by, they were appointed by God. And since they control Israel, Israel must obey Rome. 
no matter what. Um, yeah, they also they also you know, they also give you they reveal to you what they're trying to do. When Paul says, "I am a pagan," when I go to pagans, I'm a Jew when I go to Jews. I am all things to all people. Yes, He's basically telling you like I'm going in these places and I'm acting as if I'm them to get them all to unify to this pro-Roman theology. That's what that yes. is. That's why you got Apollonius of Tyana. Is Apollonius of Tyana, they say he's a real person. They have evidence for that. But, I mean, the story is, like, literally the same mythos as, like, the New Testament story. Some people try to identify him with different people. I've looked into that as well. But I eventually came to the conclusion that the, uh, identifying him with someone else in the first century doesn't seem to work. And I think it's easier to assume that he was a historical figure. But were there exaggerations done by the biographer Flavius Philostratus? Yeah, that's what I'm talking certainly. about. Yeah, certainly. Because uh, he was writing hundreds of years after Apollonius of Tyana. So, um, yeah, some people try to say, um, like some Greek, people try. Like the Greek Alexander romance. We know these events happened, but, this, right. but he, he did, he, Alexander's not a god. Like, so you have to read these things and just like you have to take, take it with a grain of salt. But you, the events, the wars, the battle with Darius, yeah. you know, that all happened. So it's like you got layers of truth and layers of myth all wrapped in. That's how they wrote back then. Right. Um, and the other thing is, once you piece all that together, and you, and you, uh, and once one realizes that, okay, the Talmud isn't good evidence for a historical Jesus, the Gospels aren't either. Uh, and what we're really left with is Josephus and Paul's 13 letters. And in my opinion, that's actually good enough. I don't think we need to know much. I mean, Jesus, the historical Jesus, was like any other messianic leader. This is he was just crucified by Pilate, and never somebody else took his place. End of story. The way I see it is the historical layer of the New Testament is the Josephus, right. the Josephus narrative. The, the yes. theological layer is Philo. Mm-hmm. So if you add, you add Philo to Josephus, you get, you get this, the Bible. Like seriously, that, that's what it's it is. Good way to put it. It's a good way to put it. Yeah. The theology uh, of Philo. I would also plus the history of Josephus. I would also throw one of the scrolls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Paul, as uh, Professor Eisman demonstrated, yeah, sprinkling, Paul sprinkling other elements on top. Paul read the scrolls. I think he did because he's twisting the language. I think he's uh, the liar they're talking about. Isn't isn't that what the, the, they're talking about? The liar, the great deceiver. I'm talking about Paul, I think. That's um, Eisman makes that argument. He he, if he's the first one to make that argument. He says that at least Minaj is the first one to make that argument. Um, he would put the letter. He would put this. He put he puts the the bulk of the sectarian documents in the first century A.D. And he says that the teacher of righteousness, the Morahazadik, he's the central character in the Damascus document, Habakkuk Pesher and other scrolls as well. He's opposed by two two people, the wicked priest, Kohen Harashi, and the liar, the, the Malaf Hakasad. Uh, and the wicked priest did something terrible to the teacher, and then eventually the wicked priest is picked up by his enemies and implied to have been killed for what he'd done, done to the teacher. Now, here's the problem that I have with, with this, and I brought this up before. But Damascus document, which is central if you want to understand what the Irish scrolls are saying, the bulk of scholars 
the majority of scholars like Giza Vermas, uh, John J. Collins, and many other scholars, they would they they go with the consensus and they put it in the second century BCE, which is the typical consensus viewpoint. And I agree with the consensus largely on uh, on 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 subjects outside the New Testament. My the majority of my issues are just with the New Testament practically. Now, the Damascus document says the teacher founded the the community, the community, at, uh, 390 years after Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the temple, which was on 586 BCE. So 390 years after that, plus 20 years, an additional 20 years, as the Damascus document says, there was 20 years in the wilderness before the Kuman community was established. That would bring it to the year 176 BCE. Now, that, that was... Maccabean time? Maccabean? That's right around the time? So that means the teacher had something to do with the Maccabean revolt or something that, as a prelude. Uh, the teacher lived in the second century BCE. Uh, I've heard uh, that Eisenman believes that the... Uh, uh, I... Well, actually, I haven't really seen anything. I haven't seen Eisman address the 390 years pro- properly. Uh, and that would be a huge chronological issue for him. Now, there are, I went back and forth on this in private correspondence. Like, you know, could this, could this really be first century? How do we work out that 390-year problem? But you got other people like Barbara Fearing saying te- the teacher is John the Baptist. And that just doesn't make any sense to me at all. Uh, and then she said, I think she also says Jesus is the wicked priest. I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, and then she, I, and then I respect Barbara Thinning a lot. I think she has a lot of good, uh, yeah, she put a lot of pieces of the puzzle on there. That fit, Wait, what, the, what, try to squeeze the thing in. that she said that bothers me the most out of all these three is that she thinks Paul actually wrote some of the Habakkuk pressure. Which Habakkuk pressure is the exact opposite of Paul's message. Yeah. Habakkuk Pesher, the commentary on Habakkuk, is extremely hateful on Gentiles. It's pro-Torah, very pro-Torah. Paul is the exact opposite of those things. How could he have written any of this? No, not at all. Um, the Damascus document, I, I don't think we can force this thing to date to the first century AD. The 390 years, it's so specific. The 390 years plus 20 is 410 years to work with. It's so specific. Um, it's why would somebody be writing that in the first century? And the other issue is, uh, I think it's in the Habakkuk Pesher. There are references that the Katim, as the Romans, yeah, have the old come into the land. Now, it's it says Israel has fallen. It's not saying. It never says that the Israelites rebelled against the Katim, but the Katim reclaimed the land. No. It's saying the Katim have come into the land, and Israel has fallen, fallen by the, at the hands of the sinners. That's, that's during Pompey's time. Pompey annexed Israel. Pompey, Pompey also went inside. He was the first Gentile to actually go inside the temple. So I remember thinking in private correspondence, I was like, okay, well, Perhaps the Damascus document didn't mention the teacher. I had a feeling I misremembered, so I went back and took a look at it. And did and it and as 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 I it's as I originally remembered. Like, oh no. Well, I said the first time is correct. The teacher was mentioned in the Damascus document. It says it clearly. 
and it does mention that he founded the Kumon community. I do not think it's possible to force that into the first century AD. I don't think that can be done. Uh, some people, some people try to jam in Jesus into the scrolls, like a yeah, uh, like a couple of other scholars do. I'm like, no, you yeah, can't force him in there. Yeah. I don't. I personally don't think the Dead Sea Scrolls were any help in in finding a historical Jesus. You could use them to say the historical Jesus believed in something like this. Because the Jewish rebel, I, I, I actually, I, this is what I think. I think that the Kurman community are followers of John the Baptist. That's what I think. Um, I think they might have crossed paths with Jesus, literally, not maybe in the sense of the New Testament. As well. One thing you need to keep in mind: yeah. Mora has it exitic means righteous or pious one. Ju- uh, Ju- Judas the Galilean had a second called Sadik, which means righteous. There's that Sadik name again. That's because that's a name for the high priest. The Qumran community, at least it appears to me, Judas the Galilean was a leader of that movement. The name, I think you know, the word Sadducees actually comes from Sadduck. Yes, Tons that's, of putting it, that's putting it together. So, yeah, I, I think I think after Judas, then you have Sadduck, then there's John the Baptist, Jesus in between, uh, and then then James and Simon, Suetonius is Crestus, and then. Uh, yeah, the Egyptian false prophet Menahem ben Judah, Simon bar Gora, Eleazar ben uh, uh, ben Simon or ben Yar, whatever. These are all different leaders of the same movement in different different time time periods, right. uh, including the teacher of righteousness. Ultimately, Hezekiah, Judas the Galilean's father, who led a revolt during Herod the Great's time. He was killed on forty seven B.C. Mm-hmm. Um. That actually takes me back to Daniel Unterbrink. He makes this claim that the testimony of Flavianum Antiquities 1833 is a total interpolation by Eusebius and that it originally mentioned the death of Judas the Galilean. That's his claim. He says, oh, he found like 33 parallels between Judas the Galilean and Jesus uh, rebelling on 6 AD, like Luke Jesus was born on 6 AD, uh, taxation, Jesus turning the tables of tax collectors. He thinks that 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 all blends in very nicely into saying Jesus is Judas. But in order to pull that off, he tries to say, well, Pilate crucified Judas. That's what the the Muslims think, too. Yeah, but the Muslim tradition is so late, I don't think that's evidence. So we have another problem. What I'm I'm saying is, I think Islam is a remnant of some sort of sect of Christians. Well, that's that's where they got that idea. Let me bring this up. Here, Irenaeus, the church father, says that Pilate reigned during Emperor Claudius, which is obviously incorrect. And Irenaeus says Jesus was crucified during during the reign of Claudius. I think he read Suetonius about Crestus. Crestus rebelled during Claudius's reign, and like, oh, well, maybe that's Jesus. And then he assumes Pilate was still around, yeah, I guess, and they are Jesus. The word Crestus just looks like Christ. Mm-hmm. So once you piece all that together, that's where that later, that's what would help trans- uh, come up with the idea, the Muslim idea. Okay, so it was about that and right. not that other thing. Um, now, according to Unterbrink, Pilate reigned, began his reign around the year AD 19, something like that, AD 18. So he makes Pilate reign earlier when Josephus clearly tells us it was 10 years long, 26 or 36 AD. Now, even Eisenman touched on that somewhat, and I think it was in James, the brother of Jesus. 
I don't think – I'm not confident in that, for, forcing Pilate's reign to, to last longer. Mm-hmm. No. I, I don't think that works. Acts – I know Acts uses Josephus. The, the first 15 chapters of Acts are definitely very unreliable. But it does tell us clearly, and I don't think it's wrong on this, that Judas of Galilean died on 86. And uh, d- during the time of the census of Quirinius. Uh, I just don't think it, there's it any... It also describes Stephen's death exactly like Josephus describes uh, J- um, James. James's death, yes. What the hell but there is a Stephen in Josephus that was executed by the zealots on the year 48 AD for in being a Roman. Way, though. Roman. Right. In a different way, though. Roman. Or is he stoned? I actually don't remember. Yeah, I don't I'm know. not sure if he... I don't uh, think he was stoned. What, are the but what it was, guys. All right. So Stephen, Stephen and Acts is basically the Stephen Josephus is talking about, but he's been rewritten to parallel James. Yeah, he's now, James in Saul. They don't want James to be dead yet in Acts. Yeah, yeah. Saul in Acts, as Eisman noted, shows up just after, just after the death of, of, of Stephen, just as in Josephus, Saul shows up after the death of James. There's a sequence of similar in antiquities. Um, yeah, I think it's the same story. Right. And I do think Paul confronted James. Now, I don't think Paul and James are arguing about what Jesus believed. I think they were arguing about the Torah more specifically. Yeah. Um, and about, about if, works, works and faith. That's what they're yeah. arguing. But here's the other problem, though. I don't buy Paul would have argued with him directly. Because the problem is, if he had if he'd gone too far, he said the things he said to Galatians in front of James, he would have been killed on sight. Right, right. The zealots were all over the Middle East before the war it's really hard to pull off having an argument in galatians at that time uh but speaking by writing galatians say 95 96 AD, way after the war during when clement and paul are going around preaching to the divided christian church because paul and all of his 13 letters are concerned that there are too many leaders in the church apollos and john and all these other and guys if you, if you look at the message uh, if you look at the message of galatians it's all about liberty and freedom right. And like, Here's the way I would put it. Paul's letters are written because Josephus wasn't good enough. Then the Gospels are written because the Gospel authors were not satisfied with Paul's message. They think there needs to be more. And then after that, Marcion writes because he doesn't like the entire New Testament. Because the New Testament is not good enough. He's a Nazi. So, He's a Nazi. Yeah. Marcion's essentially the founder of what we call Gnosticism. Yeah. Uh, now, there are some. I was talking about James Dunn, something like that. I don't think I'm... I might not be remembering his name correctly. That's fine. This person does, he thinks, in, he, he believes in Marcionite priority. He put the four Gospels after Marcion. Hmm. And there are, there are other scholars out there that do too, uh, including, uh, I think even, yeah, Dr. Price. Uh, Dr. Price is great, by the way. Yeah, yeah, I've talked to him many times. Uh, He's just a laser beam. Yeah. I just I everything he says when I look into it checks out. I don't, but I don't agree with Marcion on priority because Marcion. I think he knew John's gospel because we have to be careful. Marcion claims there was no gospel when he was writing, but we have the writings of Papias, and Papias tells us that it was a Mark and there was a Matthew, and we knew he was. We know he's writing before Marcion. So we can be certain at least those two Gospels are before Marcion. What about Luke and John? Well, Luke is very familiar with Josephus. He seems to be 
even less satisfied with Josephus than the other New Testament texts are. And he tries to blend in Josephus with Luke. And many scholars say Marcion's Gospel of the Lord is a modification of Luke's Gospel. Now, John, John has some weird theology that kind of reminds one of the Gnostic law oh, of polarity. Sure. John's for sure the Gnostic. John 10, 30, I'm the father of oh, one. And logo, I think somewhere in the spirit. The, I can't remember where. Somewhere in, somewhere in, uh, actually, I can find this out right now. Here we are. Uh, John 8, 4, 4. Uh, John, John 8, 44. The sons of the devil. Yeah, he calls Jews the sons of the devil. But Jesus is all. But John also says the the people of Israel are Jesus's people. So if Jesus is God the Father, the people of Israel are are, are the people of Jesus. But Satan is their father. Then then essentially saying Satan is Jesus and Jesus is God, and therefore Satan is God. That's very weird how John puts John's theology. And that's why I think he could have written. I think he's referring to the demiurge in a way, like he's like. Traitor who's it, that's why just, that's why I think John is before Marcion because John is like screw it all of you are right the people are saying people over here are saying Jesus is God you're right people are saying that the Israel the Israelites are Satanists you're right too that's why John uh, last. they put John last for a reason because he's uh-huh. like I am all things to all people I'm but I also yeah. but I also do think John really did write last because oh, the sure. idea that Jesus is God or is his duality with God is not in the other Gospels. It's only in John and Revelation. Revelation, I mean, it's straight from Alpha and the Omega. So yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what that's what Revelation. By the way, if you look at old old papyri that are in museums of Osiris, saying I am the Alpha and Omega. I was born. I can be born again. I die and I'm risen up again. I'm telling you, there's like right. a thousand. There's like a thousand different variations of a text about Osiris being the Alpha and Omega. Dying and rising again. And it's right. Crazy, right? So okay. let me tie this all up together real quick. So you got these mystery cults, Mithra being born on December 25th. You got Osiris. You got Dionysus. You got these illusion mysteries being pushed throughout the world. And what happens is... If I can interject just real quick. The yeah. author's name is... is uh, yeah, it was Jason B. Dunn. Okay, Jason B. Dunn. Cool. Jason B. Dunn. Yeah, that's the guy I was talking about. He puts, he's a professor uh, at, at, the no, uh, at the Northern Arizona University, and he's the one that he thinks the four Gospels after, after Marcion. Yeah. That's a very, that's a very uh, small minority position of scholars that say, okay, yeah, the, the, those gospel, the Gospels should be after Marcion. The, the problem with that is, the Gospels will lose their first century context. Why write them so late? It, Mark, 1 Timothy 6, when Paul wrote to Timothy, he, he, he said that, Pilate, that Jesus confessed before Pilate. The reaction to that, I think, was Mark. I think the author of Mark read 1 Timothy. It's, it might even be Timothy himself that's writing this. So that's... That's what I think is going on. And Mark must have came out shortly after 1 Timothy was written. And Acts, Acts tries to correct Paul's life in a lot of ways. To write that after Marcion makes no sense to me. And John's saying, everybody's right. Satan, so people over there are saying Satan's the God of Israel. You're right. If Jesus is the God of Israel too, you're right too. So Jesus is Satan. And when Jesus is God, sure. How about we say he's the father, I am the father of one. So all of you are right. 
Then Marcion comes in and rejects the entire New Testament. Now, here's the other issue. Let's say Marcion was aware of John's gospel. Let's say if Marcion... Okay, here we go, here we go. Um, if, Mar if Marcion... If the four gospels were actually after Marcion, it would be hard for him to come up with the idea of a Satan is the God of Israel from just reading Paul. You're not going to get that from reading Paul. You can get that from reading John and Revelation, but more specifically John. So if he's saying that Satan is the God of Israel from because, he's, because he knows John, I think that's the best explanation. He must have known John's gospel. He rejects the entire New Testament, especially the four gospels. Well, well, with the exception of 10 Pauline epistles, but he conveniently leaves out one to Timothy and Titus um, out of his canon. So he's straightening out John's gospel. Marcion's gospel of the Lord isn't just retooling Luke, but his thought process about the demiurge is straightening out the syncretism and the law of polarity in John's gospel. Saying, which is basically ripping off Isaiah's concept of I, I, Lord, create good and evil. I do all of these things. So that's what's going on. John is using Isaiah a little bit to help justify. It's also Mithraic. Scenario. A Zoroastrian duality. That's like, mm -hmm. This was very popular in that time. It was sweeping the whole East. And it was creeping into the West with these, Mithra, oh. these Roman versions of Mithra which was yeah. becoming, becoming a very popular cult, especially in like Armenia, Phrygia, the places where these wars were going on. This were the, yes. So the, you, got the, you got the physical war with the armies, and then you got the mental, spiritual war with religion. And he's creating these religions that were propagandists, that would, that would, that would design your mind to be pro-Roman or pro-Parthia. And that's what was happening. There was a war between Parthia and Rome for the minds of the people. That's what it was. And it all starts, yeah. it all starts with sure. Alexander the Great and sure. Serapis. And to tie it all together, so what I think is there's a book called On Isis and Osiris written by Plutarch, who is yes. a high priest of Delphi. And he, what he's doing is he's taking all the dying and rising gods and he's comparing them to – and he's, what, he, what is he doing? He's applying the Illusion Mysteries into these mm -hmm. Mithra, Dionysus, Isis, Osiris, Horus, and he's talking about the word – and he says "isos" is the word in Greek, which is very strange, by the way. I don't know if that – it could be a coincidence. But it's in there. It's in the Plutarch text. And what they're doing and what's happening in this time period – John might be familiar with it. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's happening in this time period is there's, a, there's this forming of the Roman imperial cult goes hand-in-hand hand with the Roman imperial army. And what they're doing is as the Roman imperial army is sweeping in and conquering Carthage and Gaul – and Judea, and Phrygia, and Turkey, and Syria, and Galilee. What they're doing is they're adopting who their gods are because these people worship these deities. They have emotional, spiritual attachments to these religions of these parts of the world. And they're, what they're doing is they're letting you keep your, keep, you can keep your Mithra worship. You can keep your, uh, your worship of Yahweh. And, but they're, what they're doing is they're shaping it to be pro-Roman, Right. And, and the gospel is like started off as just one of many illusion mystery uh, rewrites, but it ended up becoming so popular and grew so big. It ended up becoming the, in 300 by 300 AD. It became the thing, it became the doctrine of Rome. I don't think it meant to be that in the beginning, 
but it became that. So that's what, that's what you're seeing is you're seeing these like rewrites of all these uh, worships from different parts of the parts of the world. Like is uh, Serapis in Egypt, Mithra in Phrygia, Jesus in, in Israel, Apollonius of China in Greece. And what happened is this became the Roman Imperial cult doctrine. Now, the reason why the reason why I really think this is true is because when you go back to the who is the Pope, the Pontifus Maximus, Pontifus Maximus goes back way before Christianity, goes back to Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar was Pontifus right. Maximus, he was the Pope. His son Augustus, Pontifus Maximus, the Pope. All these Caesars after Augustus were all high priests of Rome. They were all the popes. And it's still going on today. There's still a fucking pope right now in Rome, which is crazy to think about that. It all their 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 idea, their this this plan of 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 propaganda through religion was so successful that there's literally people in Rome right now who export nothing to the world and import billions of dollars and they sit on these fucking they live in these huge mansions, marble everywhere. And it's they, they did it. They did it right. They it worked. Rome conquered. Rome was the was the throne of the West for a thousand years. Even when Constantinople fell. Even when Rome fell in 400 A.D. When the Visigoths right. came in and took over Rome, they just said, "You know what? This thing works, dude. We're gonna keep this thing going. I'm not gonna change this religion. This religion's so powerful. This this scepter that we yield. The, the Visigoths came yeah. in, jumped right in the seat, and the kept going and Justinian hated that so when he got powerful he killed them all and replaced them back with Latins again and you, you see this game of thrones just like the show literally the show is just like what happened in Rome it's a game of thrones and they the scepter is the religion is Christian that scepter that you yield you get people to bow to me and, and pay your tribute to me and you you anoint your kings the, the holy Roman emperor Frederick right. he would be anointed by the pope the Pope was the highest of all. That's what we're doing. That's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with the highest level of propaganda in world history. Now, to tie it into the world today, that same exact uh, playbook is still being used by like Hollywood or musicians, and you know, like you really when you when you put out your art to the world and you try you're tr- you you put yourself into it, and like you see the media, politicians, whatever you want to call it, they'll push certain things up front where they think if this, if this particular person gets popular or this particular movie gets popular, it's going to change the minds of people in the way we want. And you right. see it, and that's what's happening. Religion is the old way to do it. Now it's movies. Now it's music. And that's what this is, man. You gotta, and it's not bad. It's, this, it's the way the world is. It's the natural way the world is. This is a part of our, of our psyche. It's a part of our 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 world. It's it's real. It's real stuff, dude. It's right. The evolution of the human of the human psyche is art form, is spiritual religion. It's it's movies. It's it's the mythos, the logos. You know what I'm saying? That's what this all is. It's yeah. it's fascinating to think about it. It's fascinating to think about it. Yeah. The, the, the thing is. Um... I don't I don't have a problem, like I said earlier. I don't have a problem with Paul's letters being authentic. The only difference is, is the late dating. And in my opinion, the late dating of Paul's epistles doesn't diminish 
their uh, their credibility as a, uh, their uh, reliability as a source for the historical Jesus. I don't think that changes. Paul still wrote them. It doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter if it was fifties or mid nineties. But there is something I need to finish about Aretas. Um, Paul, full grown man, is getting lowered down from a basket from a window. Second Corinthians eleven forty two. Yeah, it's a strange verse. Yeah. And that is that's kind of laughable. Uh, and it sounds like he's comparing himself to Moses. He was put in the basket. And Sargon of Akkad. The myth was yeah, that too. Now, the Exodus got that from Sargon. Paul got that from Moses. And then Jesus got that from... It's a specific mythos that they're trying to put Either Paul or Moses or both. So, uh, so it sounds to me... It sounds to me that this might be evidence that Paul was actually born on AD 37, around the same time Josephus was born, because we're told by Josephus that Herod Antipas fled, Aretas, not Paul. And according to Acts, Paul fled Damascus during the 60s, not during the 30s. So that that's what I think took place. Now, well, let's talk about I'm going to talk about Ralph Ellis again here. I have, I, I, I rejected the idea that Paul could have been born on that date for, for Ellis's reasoning. Cause he thinks, Oh, Paul, we don't know when Paul was born, but if Paul is Josephus and we know when he was born, he was using that the our ignorance of when Paul was born. Therefore Paul is Josephus, which, which is ridiculous. Um, and I did bring up Aretas. It didn't occur to me at the time that Paul, although he wrote that, was actually comparing himself to Moses. If, it, if I had, I would have said something different. Like, okay, yes, I do agree. Interesting Paul enough, was born around that time. Interestingly born. enough, Moses is the one who gave yes. the law. Yes. Paul is not, Paul is not but, the one to give the yes. new Christian law. The new but it's not because Paul is Josephus. It just means he was born around that time. Yeah, no. And all that stuff doesn't even matter. It's all about yeah. it's all mm-hmm. about the actual doctrine that they're trying to be put. They don't care about Paul or Josephus or who. Yeah, they're, they're trying to change your mind. That's what this is. It's like and I another said, another it. point that's important to understand is that the kings of Adiabeni were Roman client kings. Uh, we're told we're told this in the history of the wars of Justinian uh, that. King Algaris of Edessa. And Edessa and Adiabeni are essentially ruled by the same family. Um, he was given sanctuary. He was forced to live in Rome for a long time with Augustus. Now, this isn't, this isn't real. What is real is Josephus tells us King Zemaris of, of Babylon stayed with Herod the Great. On 4 BC, he fled with 500 cavalry, exactly 500 cavalry, a royal guard of 500 cavalry from beyond the Euphrates, as Josephus says in his antiquities. Well, what's beyond the Euphrates? Adiabeni. Eusebius says Edessa is true. Mm. Helena, Queen Helena, she's the, she's the queen of Adiabeni, according to Josephus, but also Edessa, according to late sources. So there is a connection between Odessa and Adiabeni. Yeah, definitely. Odessa is yes. definitely some important place where all these ideas mm-hmm. get formed together. But what did Paul say in 1 Corinthians 15? 
500 brothers had seen Jesus. Right. And they used that. Dr. Habermas, yeah. who I think is just an evangelical shill, he uses that as evidence of a resurrection. Like, what? The issue is, <laughs> once you read, once you compare, once, you're, once you realize Paul's letters written in the last decade of the you're first just, century A.D. Bible to prove the Bible. Yes. It make any sense. Paul, Paul's 500 brothers are the Royal Cavalry Guard of 500 men that escorted Zamaris to Israel. And that was written in like, what, 70 AD, right? Um, Corinthians? What, what, what was the time period for that? Rough. 95, 96 AD. Oh, yeah, so 90s, okay. Mid-90s. You're going to use something that was written in the 90s and say that, that was, this is proof for uh, witnesses well, weeks after. It doesn't make any even sense. Even if it's true that it's 50s, so crazy. It's so crazy that you should it, lose his PhD. It's just ridiculous either you should, way. You should, you should, someone, who's, someone with a PhD that says that should lose their PhD immediately. Like, you're an idiot. And then he says in the same, I'm sorry, but he reminds me of Peter Griffin, like the way he talks. He's kind of dummy. He literally is saying that he tells you that Alexander the Great, that there's no evidence for him for, for 500 years, I think he says. And then he says that, oh, weeks after the cross, we have evidence. What are you talking about? You so he's, he's giving one logic saying that, oh, all of, the, all of the writings of Alexander are dated to three, I don't know, 300, whatever, 300 years after he was alive. Mm. He doesn't use that same logic and say that Corinthians dates to 98, whatever it is. He, does, he says that because it mentions a week after, then the mentioning is all that matters. So if the mentioning is all that matters, then Alexander the Great, we have evidence that during his now, that he was there. Here's something you might find a complete double standard. It's yeah. ridiculous. And, and Joseph Atwell is smart, and I can figure that out. Yeah, Shakespeare's Secret Messiah. He also concluded Paul's letters dates to the reign of Domitian, not for the reasons I do. Uh, he 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 says he does. He thinks they're all forgeries. Head to home. Um, and he he argues that the letters are using Domitianic sources more more the Flavian sources. Uh, from when I looked at the book, it doesn't it doesn't look like he's saying, okay, the letters are aware of Josephus's text. Um, he puts the Gospels first, Paul after. Yeah, Gospels. He puts them in the eighties. I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't think that works. I think, I think that will look at look that that part in the wrong way. Yeah. Um, and Atwill is uh, fairly recently finally getting some recognition. It's not like. Other scholars didn't come on Caesar's Messiah and his support. They did some of them. The thing, the thing about Atwell is he's on to something. He's on to something big. He just hasn't. He didn't put it all together in the way it should be. Where he he thinks it's all about the yeah. but he doesn't. But I don't think he sees that there's more to the picture. So he's and it wasn't. Yeah, and it wasn't until Valiant and Fahey published Creating Christ that Doctor Price came together. around and said, "Okay, this looks." The evidence is look, starting to look good now. For especially, especially you look at Revelation. It's like you're clearly looking at Aspasian as the next coming. That's really the other thing is how many interpolations in Paul's epistles do we need right. before we start saying these are interpolations? It's because the letters are written many decades later than we thought. And then you, look at, then you look at Eusebius talking about all these things that never happened and getting all these dates wrong and like the, describing things that are just complete interpolations, like saying, oh, Philo met uh, Peter, and they were friends, and he became a Christian. And all. like, what? None of that happened. So then you start, then you start saying, okay, this is all, this is all, this is all like. Professor Eisman identifies yeah. Peter with Simon 
Cleopas, the Bishop of Jerusalem. The problem is this guy died in the early second century. Right. So we're already, even with Eisenman. Yeah, you know, I was, I'm going to say this. Yeah. There's too much of this. Uh, he's this person. And he's really secretly this person. He's secretly this person. And if you keep doing that, it's like a Rubik's Cube. If you should have, try to focus on one little right. idea, you're not going to get – you have to do one side and flip to the other side. That's how you really get to it. It's little pieces here and there. It's not that yeah. It's not that black and white. People try to make it so black and white. It's not that black and white. It's, it's like it's all allegorical. It's all – you know what I'm saying? It's all yeah. metaphors. You know what I'm saying? But, um, yeah, let's just close this all up. We've been doing this for sure. hours. Give, give your little rundown real quick of what we said. Go ahead. Take a look. Well, it's, it seems to me that Christianity is a it's, – it's, first, we start off with rabbinic Judaism created by Yohanan ben Zakkai, who was essentially a puppet of Emperor Vespasian, appointed leader to Sanhedrin just about eighty seventy, And – then Christianity started as being unsatisfied with rabbinic Judaism. It says, no, 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 let's focus more on Jesus instead of Vespasian. Although Paul does refer to Vespasian as a wrath of God, Mark 13 has Jesus being a son of man, argued by at will and valiant, and I do agree with them on that. Um, and, 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 and the Christianity is like Josephus and rabbinic Judaism isn't good enough. Let's come up with our own thing. Then you have the, then, then Paul's letters come about. Then the Gospels come about because they're like, oh, Paul's not good enough. He's too vague. He doesn't. He gives us practically almost no biography about Jesus, barely one on himself. So Acts gets written because of that. And then Marcion's like, mm, let's forget Christianity because it doesn't make any sense to me that Jesus is too, sounds like he's very friendly when he's really not. He's Jesus. The character of Jesus is very immoral in a lot of ways. Um, and he's like, Jesus must have been son of a, of a higher God, the, later called the monad by Gnostic sects. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, like Satan must be the Jewish God because he's Jewish God is too evil. Like Satan. The dummy years, they call it, yeah. Which is, which is hilariously ridiculous because in the Old Testament, Satan is mentioned clearly. And in Old Testament, Apocrypha written 100, 200 years, 300 years before the New Testament. And in... in they distinguish Satan or Satanial differently from from him. Now, well, they, a thousand, they actually put him as just some guy that's sitting right next to the to the guy. To, that too, yeah, the judge. He's just there to be uh, the human. judge. He's just yeah, he's just at the left hand of God. He's just left him. That whole mm-hmm. entire the, the whole devil thing is all borrowed from Zoroastrianism. That was never the role of Satan in the Old Testament. If you ask a Jew, there's no Lucifer. There's none of that stuff. That's all new stuff. This this is all adopted from Mithraic. Yeah, it's. I, th- I think that probably came into Judaism and the Apocrypha probably during the Babylonian captivity. Exactly. Now, some people try to argue the Old Testament dates to the Hellenistic period, but that's another time. I think that theory is nonsense. Uh, I, I, I am convinced by consensus on the documentary hypothesis, and I, I do think the Old Testament was written over several hundreds of years over, t- over time. I think the dating of the Old Testament in, in the I think Josephus I think Josephus is correct by saying that Ezra and Nehemiah put it all together in the time of this that's what they, I think that's what happened. It was all redone in that time period. So whatever 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 was before that, whatever really was written down before that probably was like polytheistic. Yeah. Probably so had, I, I do yeah. have a lot of I do have a lot of material on that, the Assyrians and I do have original research on that as well, but that's yeah, that would we'll, take a while to explain. We'll, it has to be another time. Uh, let's do that the next time we meet. Sure. We'll talk about that. That's a good That's topic fine. the next time. Yeah. Yeah, man. This is fucking. This is awesome. Yeah. This is awesome. 
Um, I'm glad finally we finally met. And uh, this, I don't even know how long it's been. It's probably been a couple hours. Yeah, about an hour and 57 minutes. Yeah, yeah, okay. It's cool, man. Close to so, that, yeah. Everybody, if you haven't seen, if you never, don't know my channel, subscribe. Find me on Twitter and everyone on my channel. This is Jacob Berman. Go find him and subscribe to him. Do you have a Twitter, too? Yeah, but I don't really use it. It's not important. Uh, y'all can go. Y'all can check out the History Valley YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah, check him out on YouTube. Just type in Jacob Berman; he'll pop right up. Mm-hmm. And uh, thanks, everyone. Leave a comment on what you think. If you disagree with anything we said, write it in the comments. We will respond. And uh, let's let's get that dialogue going. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me.